perhaps a bit of nipple pinching to see if they awaken? Or how about a hot poker up the arse? Hello, Michelle. Hello, Michelle. What are you doing? You've got plats, you've got dungarees. Where are you? What are you doing? I'm in the countryside of Sweden. And that's how they speak? No. The countryside. That was a bit of West Country mixed with... Something random. Swedish. Some random European. I know, I know. So what are you doing there, Michelle? I'm eating a lot of cheese. A lot of cheese. I've got to say, I love the way that wherever you are, Michelle, you dress <laughs> as you think you should to suit your environment. So if you're in your house, you're in the robe. I've got something to say about that later as well. In the house, you've got the robe. In Sweden, countryside, you're wearing the dungarees and the plaits. Yes. When you're in the mountains, I guess you're wearing those kind of like Olivia Newton-John headbands and ear cover-ups and big puffy jackets. I'm a fashion chameleon. I do what's necessary. <laughs> That's my thing. <laughs> Hello, people, eavesdroppers. I'm Geordie. And I'm Michelle, and you are listening to Eve's Dropping the Podcast. Welcome. Welcome, of course, of Valkomen. I've got all my languages mixed up. Valkomen. Because she's a multilinguist. That's why. <laughs> multilinguist, multifaceted wardrobes. You've got it all going on, Michelle. All going on. But I would like to take a moment to thank our eavesdroppers for sticking in there. We were just sticking it in there. Sticking it in there. <laughs> sticking thank it in you. There. <laughs> I, I'm thanking you all for sticking it in there. I think what Michelle's trying to say is we appreciate you. We do because we were just talking off mic about how we've had podcast fatigue where we've oh, yeah. been listening to fave podcasts and then turned off but you guys you don't turn off because you love us well, and we love you it's a two-way love fest if you're listening it's because you haven't turned off but <laughs> you may miss this because you've turned off and for that well we can't blame you sometimes the sound of our voices gets too much my husband has only just started listening again he said oh, it's quite good but I think for him he hears these voices a lot so it can be quite tiring. Well, I had some apologies last night from the Swedish family saying, oh, we're so proud of you for doing a podcast. We've never listened. <laughs> I said, don't worry. Neither is my boyfriend. <laughs> they said it is a bit difficult, you know, with English as a second language to catch all the references and the nuances. We speak quite quickly. Yeah. Then they told me some grisly local stories. So we might have to have some Swedish oh. content coming up soon. Oh, that's a Great idea. So I've had some feedback from a listener about your robe, as I mentioned earlier, horrified that you would ever wear it outside of the perimeters of your garden or driveway, or you just don't set foot outside of your property in a robe. That would be like me going to my local Sainsbury's in my robe. I need to say to these listeners, life's for living. You got to put that robe on. <laughs> and they might counter that. By saying, have some self-respect. <laughs> Do you know what? I actually, in all honesty, thought that you were going to say to me, I've had some backlash about the robe because the robe is considered sexy. This is honestly what I thought you were going to say to me. <laughs> no. Yes. Wake up call number two, Michelle. What? How many do you need? It's not a sexy robe. <laughs> it's cozy. It's comfortable. And in the right circumstances, it's sex on legs. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, my God. Once again, I, I apologize to Jen. <laughs> 
Michelle's mother, who is always (laughs) listening, I hope. She may have turned off after the last (laughs) few bombshells. Now, I have got some feedback. More? Okay. We've had Kiss Apocalypse write in again. Now, if you keep doing this, you will be practically a member of the team. You put a call out to ask people after the shocking news that we're going to be annihilated by a comet, Mm. what they would do if they knew they only had seven years left to live. And his response to that is, and it could have been voice noted Kiss Apocalypse, by the way. Don't forget the voice notes, guys. We want you to record your voice notes on your machines, MP3s or whatever, and then email them to us, please, at hello at eavesdroppinpodcast.com. Thank you. (laughs) He says... Answer to the last seven years alive. I feel like he must be sitting there typing things as he's listening because it's almost like he's having a conversation with us. I love this. Thank you, Kiss Apocalypse. I think if I knew for a fact I only had seven years left, I'd spend every last cent traveling and eating, drinking and being merry, then getting a decent supply of opium to enjoy the last couple of days in blissful ignorance. So very similar to what you would do, Michelle, just living it up in a robe. In the robe. I honestly feel like I would just go... Fuck it. Fuck the fashion. I'm in the robe. Give me the Uggs. I'll have just comfort the whole time. Drink all the champagne. Look, a friend of ours once said all he wants to do in life is do the things he loves with the people he loves. And I think that is it in a nutshell. That's what I would want to do. Okay. And I'll tell you right now, I would not include this weird thing that they have in Sweden. It's called... Rek Ust. I would not include this in my last seven years. It's cheese with prawn in it. Oh, that sounds interesting. I'd like to try that. I'm shocked that you say that. Well, I like cheese. I like prawns. How can prawn cheese Hmm. go together? Prawns and cheese. Prawn and cheese. Well, let's find out is what I would answer to that, Michelle. Open your mind. Do you know what? I'm going to bring you a tub of this prawn cheese. (laughs) Will it travel? To England. Who cares? Does it travel? They're two things that can spoil. (laughs) No, you're right. Prawn cheese. It may not travel, but Merry Christmas. That's what I'm, that's what I'm bringing Thanks. you. Thanks. <laughs> Speaking about food, this is a great segue, Michelle, because I wanted to talk about some things that I've watched on TV this week. Tellyrex. Okay, Tellyrex. Not necessarily for recommendation. You know when you want to switch your brain off and you just watch pap. Well, it's two things that you've just segued, Christmas and food and telly right well you didn't say telly i did i've been thinking about the christmas menu i know it's a few months away but i like to be organized so i watched Mm -hmm. a few cooking shows this week now i always love a bit of nigella who doesn't she's got one out i think it was a, a covid year can't remember what the name of her cookbook that she was hawking at the time because that's always in conjunction with a book that she's got out and she just cooks the recipes that are in the book basically there's a nice black bread like a rye with stout Mm. bread recipe that i'd like to do i also love her fake kitchen and all her utensils (laughs) and her little drawers of licorice and pasta and all the twinkling fairy lights i just love it so cozy but i had the misfortune because it was on a cooking channel of catching up with rick stein now he's lovely and he does great food especially if you like fish well he had a show from 2005 called Rick Stein's French Odyssey. Now, I will say, just watch it or YouTube it for the insane title song. It is nothing short of maniacal. Takes you to some crazy kind of sci-fi horror. What? That's what it sounded like to me. I can't even remember what it sounds like. But guys, if you want to hear what I'm talking about, (laughs) go to YouTube, tap in Rick Stein's French Odyssey theme tune and have a listen. It's going to 
blown my mind. Give you chills, I think. And also, speaking of weird and unusual and scary, I watched Uncanny the TV show with Danny Robbins. Because, you know, we use him a lot for our yes, we do. research because yes. he's always got a good story. We've done Witch Farm. We've done The Enfield Haunting, two of his best documentary series on the radio that he's put out. Now he's on TV and he's lovely to look at. My husband walked past thinking he was being so cool and so funny, saying, oh, he looks like a spooky Brian Cox. Well... I'd already said that, Patty, so no, no. It's my line. It's your he line. He is a spooky Brian Cox. Well, I haven't got any Telerex because I've been oh. too bloody busy. But I will just say... What? I did get something wrong. Yeah. You're like, yeah, it, which one? Was it desanguination? <laughs> no. Because that's not a word. That too. You can add that to the list. No, you know how we were talking about conservatorships and I said... And Mickey Dolan's... Mike Nesmith. Yes. Who was it? Mickey Rooney. Not me. It was no <laughs> monkey at all. I got it so wrong. It's ridiculous. My heart was broken for Mike Nesmith. <laughs> I was so worried about him because he was always my favourite, the tall, goofy yeah. one with the beanie hat. No, none of the oh. monkeys were treated poorly by their wives and placed under a conservatorship. It was Mickey Rooney. What happened to him was awful. I won't even go into it, but yeah, look it up. He was a big child star. He did a lot of films with Liza Minnelli's mother. What's her name? Judy Garland. Yes. Hands up. False information. Sorry. At least you can admit it, Michelle. I always admit when I'm wrong, even in life. I'm happy to be wrong because wrong means you've learned something right. That's true. I have been very busy this week. I've been doing a lot of DIY OMG. OMG, because I'm normally a DDIY, a don't-do-it-yourself kind of person. I've been forced by my very handy Swedish fiancé. I've purchased and am currently in love with my Theragun Mini. What's that? It is a massage gun. It's one of those ones that absolutely fucking pummels you. It's like a thousand little hammers, like going da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But it's not for DIY. It's no, for your own it's DIY. it's after you've done DIY and you're right. broken. And then a you're like, gun. you get this massage gun. My God. Really, I would recommend it to anyone. It is unbelievably good. I love being pummeled. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Not the last time you'll hear it, though. <laughs> Awkward. Ox. Right now I have some guests. It's Janneke and Steve, our friends from Amsterdam. Janneke and sometimes Steve. She is an avid listener. You'll sometimes hear her being referred to as Tubble Lady. (laughs) Janneke in the tubble no longer because now she has a real bath with her pussies. Well, she's thinking quite strongly that she would like a new nickname, please. This one's not flying for her. She does not like being known as The Tubble Lady. Well, she hasn't got a tubble anymore. That's gone. She's got a real bath. In the bath with pussies. Not sure if that's the thing that she wants to be known for. She doesn't want to be known for a pussy wash. (laughs) She says the pussies don't go in any longer because it's too wet. (laughs) So, (laughs) Shorty, it's just getting worse. (laughs) Fucking hell. Sorry, Jen. Sorry, Sorry, Yarnika. Listen, it's all gotten a little bit confused. But what I will say is she is one of our researchers, so she deserves a name that she likes and loves. So let's try and think about something. Listeners, if you could write in, let us know. She's lovely. She's an avid listener. She lives in Amsterdam. She's not Dutch. And she does have two pussies. Two. A boy and a girl. 
Pablo and Poppy. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not sure that's anatomically even possible to have two pussies. They're pussy cats, Michelle. Oh. God, get your mind out of the gutter. But as our researcher, she sent me this fabulous little clip from a paper. Before we get into our stories today, I just mm. want to tell you this because it's quite good. It happened on the 25th of August in 2012. So it's not current. It happened in Iceland's southern volcanic region near a, near the island's Edja Canyon. I don't know if I've said that right or what it is because I've never been to Iceland. But it's a tourist attraction. And there was a coach tour, took a whole bunch of tourists there, had a look around, rounded everybody up afterwards, did a head count, discovered there was one missing. A lady oh, had no. failed to return to the tour bus. The tour company driver waited for an hour when she never turned up he called the police and search teams arrived to look for this woman shit plus the people on the bus right yeah they were combing the area looking for an asian woman described as five foot two and wearing dark clothing now it's 3 a.m and somehow it was discovered that the woman had been on the bus all along what? and had even been a member of the search party she had no idea <laughs> that it was her who had been reported missing because when she got back on the bus, she changed her clothes oh. uh, to freshen up. And that's probably why people didn't realize, oh, my God, that's not the same lady. Not only that, they obviously counted wrong. That's almost in line with the yoga mass killing. Yes, it is. Ridiculous. It is much like that. And all the police chief in charge of the rescue had to say was, the people on the bus had not been counted correctly. Don't you think that would be the first thing you would do? You would double check your numbers two, three, four times. Triple check. So, Michelle, today we are going to get straight into straight into our stories as if we've not been getting straight into the story. But I just wanted to segue once again by saying that this summer, some of you may know, my family went to Troyes in the Champagne region of France. And whilst there, we visited a beautiful Gothic church called the Basilique Saint-Urbain de Troyes. That's not three, but it's T-R-O-Y-E-S. It's in the Champagne region. And Champagne, the area, is special for having had two popes born there. Urban II, born in 1042 in Châtillon, and Urban IV, born in 1185 in Troyes. Okay. Claim to fame. However, whilst in the church, which was absolutely stunning, beautiful, great big stained glass windows and whatnot, rooms, statues, lots of information about saints. Then we went into this kind of catacomby kind of area mm -hmm. or kind of like a sunken small anteroom that was full of little artifacts and hidden things to look at. We were slightly grossed out, Michelle, because there was all these old bits of body, like fingernails what? and teeth and jaws and little tiny bits of, of saints' bodies. Human remains. Human remains, absolutely. Oof. Then it all kind of became apparent what was going on because I read an article in the 14 Times recently about an uncorrupted nun. And this story was also in the Catholic Times and in another religious uh, website called The Pillar. Uncorrupted nun. Bear that in mind as I keep talking about Uncorrupted nun. So unshagged. No. Nope. Virgin. No. I don't, well, I don't know what that means. I'll tell yeah. you. All right. Mary Elizabeth Lancaster, who changed her name to Mary Wilhelmina of the Most Holy Rosary, that's her nun name, <laughs> was an African-American nun from rural Missouri, USA. And in 1995, at the age of 70, she was unhappy with the standards lowering in the order that she was a member of. So she founded her own order called the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles. Lots of words. Fuck it's a bit know. like Yannicka's Tubble nickname. A lot of words. Very wordy. How do you even remember that? 
It's a lot. Well, luckily I've got it written down. But this is in Scanton, Pennsylvania. And then in 2005, the sisters moved to a place called Gower, Missouri, where the sisters followed and still to this day follow the rule of St. Benedict with a strict emphasis on contemplation and silence, singing Gregorian chants and worshipping in Latin. You've done a silent retreat, haven't you? Yes, I did. And Can anyone imagine that? Andreas doesn't believe it. He thinks I'm making it up because he said <laughs> there is no way that I could have not uttered a single word for 10 days. He, he go, just says it's impossible, but it's true, people. Did you it's go true. to your bed and have a little chat to yourself at times? No, you're not allowed. You never ever said a word. No, I think I did go down into the forest and scream, do a little into the earth (laughs) just to to check the vocal cords were still working but no talking no talking amazing you didn't need to it was all it's all mind chatter oh god yeah it was intense when you don't verbally speak yeah Yeah. the the mental chatter goes wild it's bad enough as it is thanks so let's get back to sis no for me it's bad enough oh (laughs) i don't know what your mental chat is like i'm not in your head thank god (laughs) i actually thought you meant just the verbal chatter no But back to Sister Wilhelmina. Now, sadly, she eventually died on May 29, 2019, aged 95. A lot of nines in that sentence. And a good innings. Yep. So four years after her death in 2023, that's this year. This is why she made the news. The Benedictine sisters exhumed Sister Wilhelmina's body so her remains could be reinterred into their newly built shrine. And as the founder of the order, she should have... A holy place within that shrine. After a few days of digging up the little grave, the sisters lifted up the fairly basic wooden coffin and saw a massive crack down the middle of the lid. What? The sisters were preparing to see Mary Wilhelmina's bones beneath because she'd been in there a while, like 2019 to 2023. Yeah, four years. But instead her remains, including her religious habit that she was buried in, were almost perfectly intact. A.K.A. Mummified. Corrupted. Incorrupted. Mummified. But yes, mummified. <laughs> it is also mummified, but this is what the religious term yes. incorrupted means when they have a body that hasn't decayed at the normal rate. Her body was then placed inside a glass display case after a ceremonial procession led by members of the community and crowds of people from all over the country flocked to come and see her body, touch her body, pray on the body, weep on the body. Eventually they said no more touching because bits are coming off. Vomit on that body because I'm not touching a four-year dead lady. Corpse. No. No. So the funeral home director, who's called Jack Klein, he had issued her original death certificate. He also went and had a viewing of the miracle. And he said he just can't understand how Sister Wilhelmina's unembalmed body, she died, she went straight in the box, straight in the ground, right? No embalming process was done. He can't understand how it's in this condition four years after her burial. Apparently the wood coffin was not placed in any other outer burial container to keep it from decaying or anything so it's completely mind-boggling for everybody incorruptible as i've just said michelle is a term used to describe a body that has fully or partially resisted the natural decomposition process after death it's not a common phenomenon but there are more than 300 saints whose bodies were exhumed decades or even centuries let that sink in after their deaths and showed 
no sign of physical decay. What the fuck is going on? on why aren't we talking about this <laughs> i mean we are but why isn't the world talking about this? because it could unravel some secrets because she obviously had a long life as well so is yes. it genetic is there some kind of dna thing well, scientifically it could be yeah but i don't think you're going to get your hands on those bodies because they are being venerated and sainted mm. sanctified <laughs> whatever that word is I will come to that. It's written down as well. I forget all these terms. I'm not from a religious background, so forgive me. Saint Cecilia is believed to be the first saint whose body was incorruptible. She was the patron saint of music and musicians. Mm. Now, she was martyred somewhere around 177 to 230 AD in a most awful manner. I mean, people were brutal in those days. You think it's rough nowadays? It was rough then. She married a pagan who she had convinced to be baptized because she told him she had an angel that watched over her so that no one would ever touch her because she belonged to God. Okay. And he went for it. This guy believed her and him and his brother converted happily to Christianity. But they got in trouble with the Roman prefect at the time. Mm -hmm. This is in Roman times. And so they were martyred by the sword. So martyred obviously means they died as a religious martyr. I don't know the details. I didn't do history either. (laughs) Apologies. But meanwhile, St. Cecilia, as she was not known at that point, continued preaching and converting about 400 people who were baptized by the first Pope Urban. Cecilia was then arrested and condemned to be suffocated in the Roman baths by being shut in for a night and a day with fires roaring inside. But she didn't even break out into sweat. What? Through the heat. Yeah. That sounds like me. I love a steam room. Well, then the Roman prefect heard this, so he sent an executioner in to cut off her head. He had a whack at that neck three times (laughs) and it was still attached. Oh my God. And she was still alive. So he left her there bleeding and she lived for three more days, still blessing people as she died, preaching, praying, because people came to see her. So then after she did die, after that three days of horror, she was buried. And about 1500 years later, Mm -hmm. during a renovation of the church, 1,500 years, right? More than how many centuries is that? That's That's 1.5 centuries. No. Yes. No. No. A hundred years is century, isn't it? Yes. Oh my God. That's 15 centuries. 15, 15 centuries. centuries. Yeah. We can do maths. We can if we try. <laughs> we just need to try harder. That's all. <laughs> 1,500 years later, her remains were exhumed and her body was discovered, despite all this hacking away at the poor woman, was discovered to be incorrupt as if she was asleep in the same position that she had been buried on her side oh, centuries earlier. Oh my God. Yes. You can now find her statue, but not the actual incorrupt body on display. Well, where's that gone? I don't know. And it's got like a blanket over their head, I think, for now we know why. Other incorruptible saints throughout church history have included Agatha, who was martyred Mm -hmm. after being tortured and having her breasts cut off. Oh, my God. Aren't they awful? Horrible people. They wouldn't do that to a man, would they? Well, no. Cut his ding dong off. Right, no. Well, they might. Some of the horrors that happened back in the day. Some of the incorrupt saints, like Saint Cecilia, are found pretty much as they were from the day that they died. Others decomposed at a much slower rate than normal, but they still showed signs of decomposition. That is still considered incorrupt. I'm just sitting here on the edge of my seat because I'm hoping you have some answers. No. What? 
to know. <laughs> I want to know why these bodies are like this, why they have defied. All I've got is info because I don't wow. think science has been allowed near these bodies. They're very important to the church history and the church, the church, basically. Maybe Neil, the scientist, has some info on. Get in touch, Neil. By the way, have we told our listeners that there is a complete interview on Patreon for those paid members to listen to with Neil and you? It's fascinating, enlightening. We have not talked about this. And as a quick shout out and thank you to Neil, the scientist, for taking time to talk to me about really fascinating stuff to do with space, deep space, earth collisions, comets, aliens. He runs the gamush of it all. Yes, he did run the gamut and he was a very interesting guy to listen to. You should come on more often, Neil. And guess what, Neil? I love you too. (laughs) He said he loved me. Going back to my story, though, with no answers, just horrific, amazing facts. I'm trying to think of that. What was that thing called? There used to be in Piccadilly Circus where you go and you see the tallest man. Ripley's Believe It or Not. Oh, okay. Like sideshow freaks. Yeah, well that kind of thing. But in other cases, so going back to the saints that are incorrupted, in other cases, some parts of the body remain preserved while the rest of the body has decayed. These are the things that I was seeing in the church in Troyes. Bit of a finger, like a little (laughs) bit of a nostril or something weird. And I will also mention that my house guests, Steve and Janneke, who are here, I've just mentioned them. They were in Italy in a place called Luca and they had a rainy day. They've just come from there. They had a rainy day, didn't know what to do. They went into a church, had a look around. They found something they weren't expecting to be confronted with, which was a full size, basically a zombie in a glass case on display. A what? It was like a zombie. Oh, my God. And I looked at the picture. (laughs) Yes, it does look like a zombie in a glass case dressed up in fancy finery. It is the body of an Italian saint, Zita who was born in 1212 and died in 1272. She was the patron saint of maids and servants and is often called upon to help find lost keys. Have you ever heard of Saint Zita? No. In life, she was a humble maid who gave to the poor and in death, she was venerated and even had a cult in Luca in her name. So you can visit her, mostly in corrupt body. She does look quite frightening, I have to say. It's like the skin is looking a bit leathery. Yeah, right. In the Basilica de San Frediano in Luca. I was just in Luca a few months ago. Didn't spot that mummy <laughs> mummy in a church. Well, you need to see her in the Basilica de San Frediano and then you'll see her. There's another example, which is St. Anthony of Padua. His tongue and jaw... He was a well-known preacher. His tongue and jaw were found in corrupt decades after his death and are today in a reliquary, which must be the thing that I walked around in the right. church in Troyes, at the Basilica in northern Italy, bearing his name. Uh, he was known as preacher. Isn't it interesting that it was his tongue and jaw that was left behind? Ugh. When St. Vincent de Paul's body was first exhumed in 1712, 500 years after he was first buried, his bod was completely incorrupt. No wonder there's so many shops named after him, Michelle. He's a whole <laughs> brand. You're famous. Vinnies. Vinnies. That's what they call charity shops in Australia. Just going down to Vinnies. Going to the Vinnies. Give myself some secondhand shorts. <laughs> and some thongs. 
<laughs> However, on a second exhumation of St. Vincent, or Vinny as we're calling him now, for his canonization, which I believe is when you become a saint, 25 years later, his body had decomposed thanks to a flooding, except oh. for his heart, which to this day remains perfectly preserved. Sometimes the bodies are in a wax mask or sometimes they are embalmed and they're placed on display, which makes people a bit confused. Are they looking at the real body or are they looking at a wax mask? What makes a saint? You know, is it because they're incorrupted? I don't think so, because that's a huge kettle of fish that I'm not willing to talk about right now. It's too religious. It's too long winded. But there is a religious belief that God preserves the bodies of some saints. I'm sure Neil would have something to say about this on the scientific side. But God preserving the bodies of some saints from normal decomposition process is the church's stance because right. of their sanctity. They're so saintly and everything. And so holy. But that's not a prerequisite for being a saint. You can have a rotten body and still be <laughs> sainted. Now I've talked about all these bods, right? All these bodies not decomposing as normal. That made me think, Michelle, because I didn't have any answers for you. I thought I'd just give you a little something else. Mm. It made me think about what if you were at a funeral and the person inside the box, they weren't dead? You would hope that some checks would have been made before there was a funeral. Exactly, right. This was a very real anxiety for the Victorians, so much so oh. that coffins were fitted out with periscope breathing tubes, breakable glass panels linked to bells and whistles above ground, and automatic alarm mechanisms that would detect chest movement. Such was the fear. How the fuck would you not know that someone was not dead? Listen, I haven't got the time to tell you, but there was hundreds of stories <laughs> on the internet. In the 18th no. century, corpses were then subjected to abusive tests to determine if they were oh. truly dead. Like what, you ask? Well, perhaps a bit of nipple pinching to see if they awaken. <laughs> or how about a hot poker up the arse? They were actual things that people would use to see if the body was dead. Hot poker up the arse. This is not about checking whether the body's dead. This is getting into sick, sexy territory. All done in the name of science, Michelle. All done in the name of yeah. science. I have got a couple of stories which I'll regale you with very quickly. In 1937, there was a 19-year-old Frenchman called Angelo Hayes. He had a motorbike crash and he slammed headfirst into a brick wall. Okay. The people who came to his aid discovered that his head was completely mashed. There was no pulse. He was in such a state that they stopped his parents from viewing the body. No poker required. This guy's dead. They stuck him in the ground three days later in his coffin. But then the insurance company needed to launch an investigation. So they had to exhume the body two days after the funeral. Okay. Can you imagine how shocked the investigators were when they found his body was warm? What? Apparently, in the aftermath of this incident, his body put itself into a deep protective coma and barely needed any oxygen to stay alive. But it pulled him out of the ground. They realized he was still alive. They gave him urgent medical treatment. He went on to make a miraculous discovery, so much so that in the 1970s, he invented a coffin that he took on the on the road around France and made his living that way. It was a little coffin with a fridge, an oven, a sound system, toilet, library, all but of that. But I thought his head was completely mashed. Well, he must look a state. That's all I can imagine. Right. But he lived. They fixed him. Oh, he my healed. God. That's insane. Now, sadly, I've got a sad story now. More recently in Harrowing. This story is from May 2011 in Huddersfield. It's about a lady called Michalina Lewandowska. I think I said that right because my Polish daughter-in-law told me how to say that. Mm -hmm. 
Michalina Lewandowska, age 27. She was about to go on a shopping trip with her fiancé, Marcin Kasprzak, the father of her child. Instead, Marcin arrived at her house with a teenage friend called Patrick Boris. Marcin shot Michalina with a stun gun, incapacitated her, before the two men bound and gagged her with tape and took her out to the woods and buried her in a cardboard box. Marcin was 25 when he attacked her because he had become bored with her and he wanted custody of their three-year-old son. Michalina recalls finding herself in the box and hearing the two men digging and then soil falling over the box that she was in. She then realized what was happening, that she was being buried alive and thought to herself, this is it, I'm going to die. Michalina couldn't see where she was. There was no space, but she knew she didn't have a lot of time before the oxygen was going to run out. She thought about her little boy and how much she wanted to live and see him grow up and help him. You know, he couldn't be without a mum. So she got to thinking, what can I do? What can I do? She found her diamond ring that was given to her by this fucking dickhead Marcin and began to rip the box with it from within. She says... I was focusing on the opening I had just made. So she's ripping it with this diamond, right? It must have been a big diamond. I had just made this opening. Soil was getting in. My face was getting dirty. I could see some black sky and leaves. I was so exhausted. Eventually she got out and she made it to a road, flagged down a passing motorist. And they got this guy oh and took him to court. Awful. He said in court... He only meant to scare her and didn't intend to kill her. Bullshit! But he was convicted of kidnapping and attempted murder and was sentenced to 20 years in prison. His accomplice was charged as well, but he was only 17 years old at the time, Mm. so he was placed in a juvenile institution. Michalina still has nightmares about being buried alive. Yeah. She says, He wanted me dead and planned to kill me in the most horrific way imaginable. Now he's the one who is imprisoned, and I hope he rots there. And... What can he do? He, well, I'm not going to say it, Michelle, because I find it <laughs> terribly upsetting when you say it. Judge Michelle, she will order him to, I think, suck a dick in jail. Is that what he you're going to say, Michelle? He can go suck a dick yeah. in prison. Yeah. I don't know how people feel about that. <laughs> I'm sure we'll have some comments. You got the vibes. You got the vibes. So this week, I was thinking about the everyday things that people do or the habits that people have that are just a little bit gross, but not so gross that they're a social pariah. Like cats in fridges and things when they die, like a a previous episode that we have done, I think, in season one or two. Yes, we did do that, didn't we, where the cat's cat juice was coming out of the fridge. Anyway, that's... A real juice dropper. That is a juice dropper. No, I was thinking more the things that people do that maybe no one actually even knows about to do with your own body. Okay, so secret things. Secret things. I was on the internet and it led me to auto-cannibalism. Is that like picking your nose and eating it? Yes. So basically what... (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. Kind of. Chewing and eating your fingernails, eating your hair. Exactly, exactly. It's a mental health disorder where people have a compulsion to eat parts of themselves. What you have said is absolutely part of that spectrum because to me, auto-cannibalism sounds 
much worse than it actually is. It sure do. Yes, but I thought I would take a look at some conditions that relate to this because, like you just said, it's so much more than picking a scab or pulling hair out but, of your face or biting your nails. Oh, people eat or scabs, don't picking they? Your nose. Oh. Yeah, they do. That's it. It's where you pick your scab and eat it or you pull out your hair and then eat it or you pick your nose and you eat your snot. Or okay. you bite your nails and then swallow the ripped off nail. Or you chew your cuticles down. It's not for me. Well, I don't think it's for a lot of people, but it is for some people. <laughs> okay, but I'm not going to throw shade on those who do that because no. there must be a reason for it. Well, yeah, I'd love to know. Yes. Well, the thing is, I did read that the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders... DSM-5? Yes, exactly, DSM-5. They don't recognise this disorder as a diagnosable mental health disorder. Okay. Is it comorbid with other things? Is it something that presents with other, did they say? Yes, often with OCD and anxiety and depression. It's kind of in a fuzzy grey zone of what is considered a mental health disorder and what's just shit that people do because... It's a habit. Yeah, it's not extreme. It is classed as a body-focused repetitive behaviour. Like ticking. Yeah, but it is more than just biting your nails when you're nervous. It can get to the point where you actually damage your body. And like I said, it's been linked to anxiety, depression. It also involves like people who don't have impulse control, um, OCD yeah. and PICA, for example, which is something we've talked yeah, about yeah. before. That's eating clay, isn't it? Yeah, eating things that aren't food, like chalk. Or mud. I think we even talked about somebody who ate, you know, their like husband's ashes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) Chomp, chomp. I think that's the second time I've said chomp, chomp this episode. I'm so sorry, people. There are different types of autocannibalism and different levels. They've all got medical names and a list of symptoms like dermatophagia, which is the name for when people eat the skin on their hands or fingers. And it leads to the skin being so bloodied and so raw, covered in open wounds. Oh, Yeah, because people just can't stop. Ouch. Can that get infected? Of course it can. Of course it can. And people have had to have amputations and all sorts. Oh, no. Yeah. And then there's trichophagia, which is also known. Yeah, Rapunzel syndrome, it's called. It's where someone has a compulsion to eat their own hair, which... I thought, oh, that doesn't sound so bad. You can get all tangled up in your tummy, I bet. Well, that's it. Strangulate bits of your intestines even. Yeah, if you eat loads of it, it can block up your digestive tract. Like a big (laughs) furball. Well, it can kill you, actually. There have been cases. I bet. On one level, I thought that doesn't sound so bad. But on another level, I thought, you know when sometimes you get a hair in your throat? Oh, my God. That just makes me feel sick. Then there's rhinotilexomania, which is rhino. Yeah, compulsive nose picking. Picking your nose. Yeah. Which is actually they say it's effectively self-harming. Is it? Yes. Oh, because you really pick, 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 picking. Yes. Now the thing is that everyone picks their nose at some point. Everyone picks their nose and that everybody picks their nose in their car. I've seen so much of it. You know, I was on the autobahn just a few days ago. Like just fingers permanently up there. So many. And look, I get it. And in fact, there was a study of 200 teenagers, which of course they're going to pick their nose. This was done in 2001. All of them admitted that they picked their nose. And most people do this sometimes out of boredom, sometimes when they're nervous, or if they just need to get a a dry bug 
out. Which is fine. Yeah, that's fine. But what I really hate is when you're on the train on your commute into work and people are just digging for nuggets, like practically up to the knuckle. I hate it. Grown men. I did read somewhere that doing it in public without any kind of lack of shame is actually a spectrum, like neuro spectrum disorder. Is it? Because most people are like, I'm kind of embarrassed to pick my nose in public. People who don't care often have autism or they're spectrum-y in that way. Just keep that in mind. It's when it moves from kind of a quick pick to (laughs) a condition where you have an obsessive compulsion. So we should be a bit more understanding of those men with their fingers in their nose up to their knuckles on the train of a morning when you've just barely digested your breakfast oh god i don't know i mean are they eating it afterwards no thank god i mean i'm looking away because staring at that thing makes me feel uncomfortable maybe they're like you know having a good old choo-choo on it don't chomp chomp choo-choo what's going on here i don't know look picking your nose is not super dangerous okay because what's the worst thing that can happen well nosebleeds scarring brain falls infection, out all of that the brain can fall out no i'm joking you Come said on, that i was just teasing you generally people who do have that often also have obsessive compulsive disorder yeah. or anxiety disorders but not always and these are pretty mild behaviors but auto cannibalism can go from just you know eating your scabs all the way through to eating body parts like what? You actually talked about that Japanese guy who cut off his penis and oh, ate it. Yes, I did. <laughs> that is <laughs> that is considered autocannibalism. Okay. Yeah, well, that would be. Well, if we circle back to why someone might start munching a scab, it does start when people experience anxiety or tension and they feel that that tension is lessened when they eat a book or rip <sighs> off a nail and eat it. You know, it might even be pleasurable for them or taste delicious. Okay. But they also might feel a wave of relief or calm after they've finished that behavior. Yeah. But in most people, it's then accompanied by a feeling of embarrassment or shame. So it's a double-edged sword. They get this feeling of like pleasure and then this shameful feeling. And if we kind of dig deeper into potential causes of this or even like body-focused repetitive behaviours, there has been some research which suggests that it could be genetic and that these compulsions could be inherited. So if you've got someone in your family who's a compulsive nose picker, you could be at higher risk of developing rhinotelexamania. They also think that autocannibalism is more likely to appear in childhood rather than when you're an adult. And in fact, there is a condition called Lesch-Nyhan syndrome, which appears at around your first birthday with symptoms of autocannibalism. And basically, it's a pretty rare inherited disorder, which is caused in utero. It's uh, caused by a deficiency of a particular enzyme that can cause a buildup of uric acid in your body fluids. This can lead to gout, oh, kidney problems, God. and a lack of muscle control, along with self-mutilating behaviors wow which as a one-year-old is mostly extreme lip and finger biting (gasps) yeah can you imagine obviously there are also emotional triggers that can kick off auto cannibalism like boredom frustration sometimes even impatience Mm. where people start picking and eating to try and 
distract themselves or calm themselves down. There, of course, are extremely rare cases of people actually eating body parts. And when I read a case study, I think it was actually from like the early 2000s. So there could be more now, but there were only eight recorded cases of actual eating of body parts in the world. But I say recorded Mm. cases because I think there are a lot more that go unreported. Unrecorded, yeah. But there was a 28-year-old guy in New Zealand who apparently had quite moderate depression, but was a bit of an insomniac as well. And he also had suicidal thoughts and this was back in 2009 so he cut off his own finger and then ate it oh wow and look he wasn't on drugs he wasn't drunk when he did it but he did later say he thought he might have had a bit of a psychotic break at that moment yeah and that it was a bit of a cry for help to Mm. get some mental health attention But the thing is, this guy was living in a share house in New Zealand at the time. Oh, wow. And, of course, this went all over the newspapers. And a reporter said to him, you know, what happened when you told your flatmates what you'd done? Yeah. And he said, well, they didn't freak out. They just said to him, oh, did you? What did it taste like? Chicken or pork? Oh, my God. Come on, guys. That's outrageous. If my flatmate, because obviously when I was at university, I lived in share houses. If somebody had come out and said... Oh, guys, I just cut off my finger and ate it. I don't think I would be like chicken or beef. That would not be my top question. (laughs) Thing is, this guy turns out was a Buddhist vegetarian and he just said to his flatmates, I don't know. I haven't had chicken or (laughs) pork in a long time, so I wouldn't know. Oh, no, this is dreadful for him. Poor guy. And then there was a guy, 34-year-old guy, who was taken from prison to the emergency in hospital with a gash on his right leg that was perfectly rectangular. It was around 7 centimetres by 11 centimetres and it was nearly 2 centimetres deep. That's pretty fucking deep. Yeah, billeted himself there. Well, this is the thing. When he went to hospital... He was perfectly calm, but he wouldn't answer any of the doctor's or nurse's questions. Mm. So the prison guard then told the doctors what they'd found. And they'd said, first of all, he cut his thigh with a knife. And then he just munched down on his own raw thigh flesh. Oh, my God. Yeah. He did that for an hour (gasps) before they found him. They said he'd also done the same thing to his arm a year earlier. Oh, wow. So after the doctors gave him a tetanus vaccine, they fixed up the wound and gave him a psychiatric evaluation because despite the fact that he'd munched his arm a year earlier, he was not under any psychiatric care. That's a loophole. Yeah. Yeah. So he was diagnosed with a psychotic disorder and transferred to a closed psychiatric ward because, you know, according to reports I read, self-harm behavior is seen primarily in patients with borderline and antisocial personality disorders. Okay. And they also said that they thought he was just doing it to kind of get attention. Oh, come on, guys. To get out of the prison and into a psych hospital. But I just think that is such an extreme thing to do as a scammy way to get out of prison. Exactly. Extreme. But saying that, there is a condition called BID, B-I-I-D, which stands for Body Integrity Identity Disorder. And basically, it's where a person 
has this unshakable feeling that their body image does not match up to their actual body. Right. Which leaves them with a really, really strong desire to amputate their own limbs or modify some part of their body. Right. Because in their mind, they feel that that limb or whatever it is, it's not the way they should have been born. It doesn't Mm -hmm. belong to them. And that it should either be gone or changed. And no one knows where this is coming from. No. But I did read that people with BID often feel this way from when they are very, very small children. Oh, wow. And that they have this overwhelming feeling of incompleteness. And that for them to become their full, actual, real selves, they have to amputate that limb or modify a body part. And in the case of one woman, make herself blind. Oh, no. Yeah. And look, you can go on Reddit and read heartbreaking stories of people who have this condition, who talk about struggling their whole lives with this feeling of not being born the way they feel they should have been born. You know, they feel like they should only have one leg or they should be blind. And I actually read this thread where a person said there were three types of BIID. The first is, and I don't know if this is actually medically correct or not, but they said the first is a traditional way where the bid sufferer feels overwhelming distaste at their own body because they have an unwanted limb and want it gone. Yeah. Then there's a second way of looking at bid, which is where the person feels that it would be cool to have a stump or two stumps. Cool? Yeah. Like it's really exciting and really fun for them to like, I want a stump, I want a stump, or two stumps, or four stumps. Oh, no. Yeah. And thirdly, there's another type of bid where a person wants to show off a prosthetic limb or two, and they're obsessed with the artificiality of the limb and living with the physical equipment attached to the body. So there's two parts to that. There's the desire for amputation and to be able to like, use a hook or an artificial leg and strap it on and and that to me feels almost like they want to feel special but in fact on the same uh, reddit thread a guy wrote in saying that he considered himself in a typical way to be a bid sufferer and that he had a desire to have his legs atrophy like so atrophy his legs Mm -hmm. so that they were partially paralyzed and he wanted that to happen through polio myelitis so that mm-hmm. they would be so weak to the point that he would not be able to walk oh. without the use of full leg braces and crutches that was his very specific scenario it's very dickens isn't it yep and the other thing is he said it's like a fantasy and he goes on to say that when he thinks about that having weak legs because of poliomyelitis then crutches and leg braces, he sometimes has erotic sexual feelings. So this is way, way more complex than just my arm shouldn't be there. There's a lot. I don't know if you've had any thoughts about this. No thoughts. (laughs) Okay, This is news to me, all of this kind of stuff. It's fascinating and I would like to look further into it and kind of unpick it a little bit. Well, there has been a study published in the Journal of Current Biology where researchers found that bid sufferers had like part of the brain associated with body image that had less functional connectivity with other parts of the brain compared to people who don't have bid. 
Now, apparently researchers managed to recruit 16 men from a support group website for people with BID who all wanted to remove their healthy left leg. And then they compared the brain scans of those 16 men to brain scans of 16 men who didn't have this condition. And what they found was that the men with BID had noticeably different neural architecture in something called the paracentral lobule, which is basically the part of the brain that controls how we interpret feedback Uh from our lower limbs and how our limbs feel to us. Plus, the scans also showed that same area had reduced connectivity to other parts of the brain, along with reduced density of grey matter. This made me think, if you could change the wiring in these guys' brains and increase the connectivity in the paracentral lobule, Mm -hmm. can you make these people feel that their leg is now just a normal part of their body and a welcome part of their body? Yeah. Or if they've been fantasizing about this and having their leg amputated for so long, Have they just created really, really deep neural pathways? Yes, that's what I was going to say next, actually. And that if that's Mm. the case, then that can be worked on. Yes, if they want to work on it. Yes. It's so tricky. And obviously, you know, people do feel feelings of shame and all that kind of thing around this. But to circle back to the lady who wanted to be blind, there's a case of this woman, her name's Jewel Shooping. So in... 2006, her desire to be blind was so overwhelming and so strong that she decided to blind herself. And I find this so fucking shocking. This is how she did it? Yeah. She managed to do this by finding a sympathetic psychologist who poured drain cleaner (gasps) into her eyes. Oh, no. Geordie, I'm... I'm just putting this out there. Is that not crossing every fucking patient? How sympathetic is that? Oh my gosh. That is crossing a line, surely. Yeah. Can you really ask someone to do that? You can ask. But are they committing a crime? I don't know. I should have looked into this. I think so. I don't think they've been charged with anything. Right. Well, they should definitely be struck off. Well, that's the thing. Like, this person has a mental health condition. She said her blindness began in early childhood when she was four or five. And she remembers that her mum would find her walking in the dark, like in the middle of the night with her eyes closed. Yeah. And she remember feelings just really happy when she couldn't see anything and it mm. felt good to her. Then she began pretending to be blind when she was in her early teens. Wow. She'd wear those thick sunglasses. Yeah. She got a white cane and started using it. Then when she was 20, she became fully literate in braille taught herself braille and by the time she was 21 she said the idea of being blind was just this non-stop alarm in her head that was just going off 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 I need to be blind I need to be blind so like I said to make her dream of being blind come true she found this psychologist who put first of all numbing eye drops in her eyes and then put drain cleaner into each eye both (sighs) eyes and Jules said I know and Jules said and I quote It hurt, let me tell you. My eyes were screaming and I had drain cleaner going down my cheek, burning down my skin. But all I could think was, I'm going to be blind. It's going to be okay. Thing is, it didn't happen straight away. It took six months for Jewel to go fully blind. But she says she could not be happier. 
She says she has no regrets and that she dreams of helping other blind people live an independent life and that she feels that this really was the way she was supposed to be born and that she should have been blind from birth. That's a happy story for her then. Yep. And she said she decided to speak publicly about it because she did feel a lot of shame about what she'd done because originally she told her family it was an accident, but they did find out the truth Uh and both her mother and sister have now cut contact with her. Right. They're probably so shocked and can't understand it. But she said she's happy. But this is what she wants. She knew it and she prepared Mm -hmm. herself. Yeah. And look, there's this guy called Dr. Michael First, who I think is still a professor of clinical psychiatry at Columbia University in New York. And he was one who actually coined the term BID, B-I-I-D. And he said that any major disability can be a focus of BID. From amputation to paraplegia and blindness, it's all the same root cause. And he also says that people with beard are aware that this feeling that they have is unusual mm-hmm. and they know it's coming from within them. And it's because of this level of awareness that they have that I want my arm gone, but I know that it's something that's within me. Mm-hmm. It shows that they are perfectly rational about how they feel and that they're rational about what they think will make them happy and comfortable in their bodies. And that they also often worry about if they go ahead with it, will they feel complete if they do amputate a limb, mm-hmm. you know, and will they be satisfied? It, that level of awareness makes them not so extreme in their mental health yeah. in a way. The thing is that Jules said for her, the way she became disabled doesn't really matter to her. When someone says to her that what she did is selfish, she says it's selfish to refuse treatment to somebody with a disorder because she said she knows she has a disorder. And she said, it's not a choice. It's a need based on the disorder of my brain, basically. So I guess she went around it in in the correct way, unlike the guy who was cutting his leg or whatever. That way she could get professional help. And she was also so committed to this that she went to great lengths to prepare herself for the act and for how she would live afterwards. Yeah. I just don't know how I feel about any of it. I have really mixed feelings about it because I don't think I can put myself in their shoes. No, you can't. And the thing is that they are their own people. They know what they need to do. Raising awareness and having a bit of understanding of it could help people to understand it. What I mean by that is, you know, some some information, some psychoeducation, whatever is needed. But I've not heard about this before, Michelle. This is totally new apart from picking your nose or cannibals who like to cut off their willies that we have talked about before that you see in outrageous news stories. But yeah, it's fascinating to unearth the motivations and the causes and the treatments. Yeah. So that's all I got for you this week. Well, that's more than enough. I feel a bit sick, actually. I feel sick that people would cut their leg and chow down on it. People feel the compulsion to have this. This is the world we live in. People are people and different and different strokes for different folks and all of that kind of thing. (laughs) It's a rich tapestry, Michelle. It takes all sorts. So no, we're not shaming people who have compulsions that aren't, no. un, you know, that are not understandable to us. Tell us about it. Let us understand. Help us understand. Do you think that if you pick your nose and eat it or if you pick your scab and eat it, do you think that that could ever be normalized in society? Uh, I don't think it should be normalized to the point where we have to look at people doing it necessarily because not everyone likes that. But maybe anything goes. 
I mean, anything goes. Well, you know, Jordy, that's all I got for you this week. And on that picky bitty. Pick and eat it. Pick and eat. Pick, pick and, and mix. Pick and mix. Pick and mix episode. I do feel like there's really only one thing left to say. And what's that, Michelle? Wherever you are. Oh, whatever you do. Just keep. Keep. Eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping, dropping, eavesdropping, dropping, eavesdropping, dropping, 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 drop